Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. It's the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, thanks for joining us for another On The Move. John, there is big news out there with the release of an all-new S650 Mustang, and we are going right to the source to get the details on it. We are going to be talking in segment two with Ford Motor Company's Ed Krentz, one of the main guys responsible for this all-new pony car. Now, before we get to it, we've got a ton of Mecham and car news to get to, starting with this October, we have a first in Mecham history Happening at the same time, we have two collector car consignment auctions, one in Matt. Chicago Only and one in Chattanooga. Only pull something like that off. Uh, yep, uh, all the action is going to begin October 13th. By the way, both of those auctions, the consignment lineups, are still open. There's still a few spots left. Uh, if you're thinking about either one of those two, don't hesitate. Jump on board. Same thing with advanced bidder registration for both. And I just want to say that uh, the Chicago auction will be televised both on Motor Trend TV, on, on your cable network, and also on Motor Trend plus the streaming. So we can't, the TV crew can't be at both places at the same time, but the Meekum staff can. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, speaking of being out on the road, the Meekum Auctions team is coming off of a very successful auction in Fountain City, Wisconsin at the Elmer's Auto and Toy Museum and lots to dive into. And I think the best place to start, John, is I think one of the biggest surprises. And that was the high selling vehicle of the entire auction was a 1970 Chevelle SS selling for $242,000. John, did you see this one coming? No, I didn't, Matt. You know, about 110 cars in the collection and a bit surprised that that one was the top seller. But man, we know this plenty of car fans and toy and pedal car and memorabilia in general fans were there paying crazy prices. Speaking of crazy prices, our top pedal car. Yeah. One that you and I had a chance to preview and, and were literally drooling over on uh, one of the several videos that we did. That was the 1970 Plymouth uh, Roadrunner Super Rear pedal car. It brought a whopping $59,000 for a pedal car. One of four that was built specifically for Elmer himself. Uh, overall, uh, about roughly seven and a half million dollars in sales versus the pre-auction guesstimate of total of about four and a half to five point five million. So greatly exceeded the expectations. And hats off to the entire Meekum staff, uh, including uh, consignment agent Gus Kozar, who was really the Meekum ringleader on that whole thing, just juggling so much. Uh, it really paid off and, you know, really glad to be a part of it. Right. All right, John, well, let's t- dive into some car news and something that we mentioned on the last show was a tease of Ferrari's all new SUV, the Puro Sang, I think is how we're uh, thinking it's pronounced, but this is a, a, a new category for the luxury automaker. And I think it's a space that uh, they're obviously late to the party, but it's still a great time to introduce a vehicle like this to market. Uh, while we run down some of the details, guys, I think one of the things you and I are most excited about is what's underneath the hood. Well, pretty surprising, Matt, that in this era of downsizing and turbocharging and electrifying and hybridizing and all of that is Ferrari has gone with one of their old school V12, normally aspirated. That potent engine is putting out 715 horsepower, putting it at the top of that ultra luxe, high performance European SUV class. Uh, typical Ferrari fashion, they're coming in, <laughs> coming in with uh, 
you know, with, a, with obviously a fantastic car. They're guesstimating a couple thousand of those cars will be built. And are you ready for this? Even though the base price is in the $400,000 range, reports are coming in that the order book is completely full for the new Ferrari FUV standing for Ferrari utility <laughs> vehicles. Does it surprise you that literally within a couple of days of announcement, it's already sold out? It, it doesn't, obviously, with uh, a vehicle like this. There's been a lot of hype. I mean, it's been teased, I, I would say, for a number of years. I think a lot of Ferrari customers knew it was coming. The category is is full of other types of these from, from competitors. So I yep. think it's, I'm not surprised it sold out, John. But I think one of the things that surprises me about the vehicle maybe a little bit of lack of personality. You know, you and I have talked a lot about one of the biggest competitors to this is Lamborghini's Urus, which has a ton of personality, very much Lamborghini-esque. And I think this this obviously does smack of Ferrari design language, but it really does kind of blend in. Nothing really to stand out about it. Kind of a, a subdued, understated luxury quality to it. And, you know, that's obviously more on brand with Ferrari. I just wonder if maybe a little bit of, a little bit of edge would have helped it stand out. Well, that's a good point. It's definitely more organic, which is kind of typically the competition between both Ferrari and Lamborghini. Lamborghini always being a lot more edgy and wild looking. But I'll tell you what, it's got an old school 700 plus horsepower Ferrari V12 under the hood. And I think that's probably why it sold out. My thought is, is as this platform continues, and it will indefinitely, I'm sure, uh, probably the next round, it's going to have either a V8 or a V6 turbocharged with hybrid power. So maybe folks are jumping on board wanting to get the last of the you know traditional V12 platform. I don't know, but either way, it's sold out. <laughs> All right. Well, two things are... We missed our chance. We did miss our chance. And two things of what you just said, John, correspond to our next car news story, which <laughs> is the last of something and sold out. After the model year 2023, we will bid a fond farewell to Chrysler's 300 sedan with a final limited edition 300C. And that will come equipped with the 6.4 liter Hemi V8 producing 485 horsepower and 475 pound-feet of torque. It will will go zero to 60 miles per hour in 4.3 seconds and turn a quarter mile time of 12.4 seconds. Other performance upgrades will include red four piston Brembo brakes, an active exhaust system with black tips, and there will be carbon fiber accents throughout. The uh, vehicle will sell for $55,000 and 2,200 are slated to be built. 2,000 for the U.S. market with another 200 uh, going to Canada. And John, uh, with such a special package, as you can imagine, all of them already have been spoken for. Within 12 hours, Matt, the order books were completely full and interested parties are being added to a waiting list don't have any idea if chrysler might say you know what the demand is so high for this end of the run high performance 300c maybe they'll make some more don't know anything about that but what we do know is is literally within a half a day of the announcement of this car the order book is full and closed on that first run of 2200 300c's incredible well said and and clearly no denying their status as collectors items now john let's transition let's start thinking mustang because here we are at the uh reveal the recent reveal of the all-new seventh generation s650 version of ford's iconic pony car let's take a moment to actually look back at the history and heritage of the iconic model especially given that for the past consecutive three years some of the most historically 
significant and valuable Mustangs uh, to ever change hands have crossed the Mecham auctions block. And John, what that tells me and you is that there is worldwide uh love and adoration for this model and especially given this all new generation coming clearly it is not going away anytime soon well you know matt the history and the significance of the ford mustang has been noteworthy since the launch going all the way back in april 1964 but there is a handful a mere handful of cars that not only are important mustangs and not only are important cars as part of automotive performance automotive history but also that cross boundaries over into pop culture and i think ford versus ferrari the big success of that movie uh, not only just with car people but with just folks in general has done a lot to put these cars on the map so if we go back to 2019 the 1967 shelby gt500 referred to as a super snake now that was that white fastback that carol shelby used for the goodyear tire testing installed a le mans spec 427 setting a bunch of records with that car and that car hammered back in 2019 at kissimmee for a whopping 2.2 million dollars now that set the stage matt for a couple of other big mustang sales right right behind that in january of 2020 john i think the shot heard around the world uh was the sale of the 1968 ford mustang gt known as bullets uh, featured prominently in the uh, movie featuring steve mcqueen with that iconic uh chase scene in san francisco and i think it's one of those things john where it really took that foundation of what you just described as the Mustang as a performance icon. And then on top of that, it added all of the added mystique of being a pop culture icon, further expanding the the reach, which is why that car hammered for $3.74 million and still talked about today uh, just as one of the most significant moments in automotive history. Right. And then rounding out the significant Mustang trio map was the 1965 Shelby GT350 prototype, one of only two built, known as the Ken Miles Flying Mustang. And that goes to this year, Kissimmee 2022, where it sold for $3.75 million. Pretty impressive million dollar Mustang list there. Really uh, indicates not only how significant Mustangs are, but just how dominant Mecham Auctions is in attracting these top shelf A-list cars of all types. Doesn't matter if we're talking Corvettes or Mustangs or muscle cars or exotics or pre-war classics. Does not matter. Um, Some of the most uh, significant cars in the world cross the block and I always look forward to what's coming up next. How are we going to top it? Mecham Auctions is proud to bring you On the Move with Matt Avery and John Craman. For more on the world of collector cars, head over to Mecham.com. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, Matt, very special guest, hot on the heels of a huge announcement from Ford Motor Company. We have uh, gotten some initial information on the all-new Mustang that will be debuting for the 2024 model year it is uh, codenamed uh, s650 and to help bring us up to speed is the guy referred to as the mayor of mustang ed krenz he's a chief functional engineer at ford performance and uh, he has uh, uh, kindly uh, uh, joined us on the podcast to bring us up to speed on uh, on not only on not only the the hard nuts and bolts facts of exactly what we can expect, but kind of the path to that and how we got there. Ed, thanks so much for joining us. Let's begin by having you take us on a little discussion of your love of cars, how it got 
started and how that ended up with you being at Ford Motor Company. All right, Matt and John, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show and letting me talk about my favorite thing in the world, which is Mustangs. <laughs> um, and I do need to clearly uh, update my uh, biography here because I'm now in a new job, but we'll get to that here as I uh, talk a bit about my background. So Good. Um, it, interestingly, and I'm a, I'm a second generation Ford guy. Um, that is not unusual. Uh, it is a family company. Um, generations of employees all the way up to Jim Farley and, and uh, his ancestors uh, at the company. Um, so it's very much um, uh, runs in my blood that, uh, that I would be working with Ford and Ford Blue. Um, I started with the company about uh, 28 years ago, and wow. I started in manufacturing and um, have slowly and somewhat randomly worked my way <laughs> closer and closer to the, the, the product and the customer. I've um, worked on parts, engineering parts. I've worked on systems. Uh, total powertrain is where a lot of my experience is, the uh, old ICE uh, powertrains. Um, and my, my career sort of, and I wouldn't have considered myself at that point necessarily a car guy. I, I've, I've had Mustangs in the past. I had a 98 Cobra Mustang, black on black. I uh, love that car, loved wheeling it out of the garage, washing it, wheeling it back in the garage. Mm -hmm. um, just really like to look at it. Um, but I wasn't considering myself like a, a true enthusiast. Um, but about eight years ago, maybe a little bit less, I got a phone call asking me um, if I wanted to move from sort of mainstream Ford into uh, the Ford Performance Group as the chief functional engineer. Um and with that job came responsibility for Raptor engineering, um, the Focus RS, ST derivatives across all of our portfolio. Um, GT350 had just sort of wrapped up and was in the market, but GT500 was just starting. So I got to see that from start to finish. Um, and then was in, on the ground floor for the Bronco Raptor and even the Raptor R where I commissioned the first uh, prototype vehicle for that Raptor R wow. uh, called it the carnivore at that point in time mm -hmm. um, and took that out to the track to blow some people's minds. Um, <laughs> so at, during, during that four years or so um, working in that environment uh, and seeing the capability of vehicles, you know, not what, not what you do with them, but what they can do. Um, my appreciation level um, for the people that engineer these things, the passion they have, it was super contagious. And uh, the job was going to turn out to be very expensive for me because I was ultimately going to want one of everything that Ford performance <laughs> does. Right. And, uh, and I started down that journey. Um, but I, you know, I do have a house boss here that uh, is controlling my ambitions. Understood. Um, so at the end of my time in Ford performance, I picked up uh the chief engineer responsibility for the Ford GT supercar um, brought to life the uh, GT Mark II track only mm -hmm. um, car, um, brought the liquid carbon Ford GT to market. Yep. Um, and really, it was about three years ago um, that I had the opportunity to move from Ford Performance 
uh, to lead Mustang as a nameplate. And uh, just to be specific, it is the the traditional Mustang, not the Maki uh, that I have the responsibility for. And that's really where we started our journey for uh, seventh generation Mustang was was right there. Um, I will say when I left Ford Performance, I did so with one of my favorite vehicles uh, in my garage, and that's the 20 model year GT350R Heritage. So cool. Um, often get the question of um, what's in the garage and why'd you pick it. But the uh, even though I spent three years on the GT500, the uh, the GT350 is very special to me. Manual transmission may have something to do with that, huh? Uh, it is, you know, very much a driver's car, right? It's, okay. it's the manual. It is the uh, sound of the flat plane crank from the Voodoo engine. Um, there are things that are very specific to that car. Um, it's balance. It's nimbleness. Um, it's not a hero car like GT500 where you're going to go, you know, break records. Um, but it's just something that's very usable driving around, and it's just so much fun to just go on a Sunday drive in that car. Well said. And ironically, though, a, a lot of the things that make that car special are, are going to be some of the challenges we have in the future when we when we look to electrify these vehicles uh, longer term. Um, not that that's unsolvable, but you know that's certainly an engineering challenge to figure out what what is what's going to make cars. Um, as fun to drive and as engaging and interactive as, as something like the GT350 is. Well, what you just described, Ed, appears to be the personality of this new Mustang from the uh, powertrain availability to the technology that's on board, to even down to some of the styling. It, it very much looks to be a driver's focused car. Was that the intention from, from day one, from the get-go of this project? Yeah, it's the, um, it, everything we do starts with a deep knowledge of the customer. We, we literally define um, a target customer and we describe them in terms. Um, we define how they use their vehicles and, and what's special about that through sort of use cases and experiences. Um, all of that is fundamental to taking, uh, to starting the engineering process and transition, transitioning experiences and customers into sort of engineered parts and attributes. Um, and that's not specific to Ford, but certainly the tar- or specific to Mustang, but that defining that target customer and those, those experiences, those are very Mustang centric. Um, and they're special to uh, what Mustang is. And it resulted in a lot of the unique features. Um, the whole process um, started a couple years, actually probably a year and a half before I even joined the Mustang team, um, where they spent, where we spent a lot of time, really in the think phase of what is what does this car want to be? Does it does it want to be a traditional silhouette? Does it want to be ice? Does it want to be hybrid? Does it want to be fully electric? Um, you know what. What are we what are we trying to do? What is our customer telling us? What is the technology telling us at this point in the process? And one of the first decisions that uh, clearly had to be locked in to make any progress was uh, the decision to stay with the um, ice powertrains. Now they're not carryover powertrains; they're very much new. Yeah. Uh, but they are they are ice, uh, and they do come with autos and manuals. 
Um, and that, that was a pivotal decision for us. Um, but when we, when we looked at the fact that we already had the Mustang Mach-E and that was serving, uh, that was serving the Mustang portfolio in a way that, you know, our competitors didn't have, um, an answer and it was bringing a significant number of new customers into Ford brand and the, um, and into the Mustang brand. But part of the conclusion is, you know, with all the new customers coming in that, that still said we have an existing customer, um, that very much appreciates, um, what the history, the history of Mustang is and what its powertrains and propulsion systems could be. Um, so we, we certainly set out to, to achieve what that customer is also looking for. So we effectively have between the Mach-E and, and the seventh generation Mustang, we have uh, the, the bookends of uh, everything somebody could be looking for in, in this segment. Take us down into uh, what I refer to as the base car. The turbocharged 2.3 liter four has gone through a lot of redevelopment. I'm guessing uh, for this launch, I'm guessing that probably fuel economy and emission standards and maybe some other issues came into play on that redesign. And then once you give us some highlights on that, take us into what we all really want to hear about. Uh, and that is um, some of the changes and the development of the five liter coyote engine, including the choice to include either the manual transmission, a six speed or a 10 speed automatic on that platform. Yeah. So um, what is really interesting when working on Mustang is while it's not the, it's not the F one fifty from a volume perspective, we don't sell a million of these things, Right. but what we, do do is is cover a tremendous breadth of capability and performance and even customers for that matter and with the EcoBoost um, we're really trying to meet the needs of an, a very affordable a, obtainable uh, sports car um, so we at, at that end of the spectrum very price sensitive we're also for reasons of you know, corporate compliance, um, emissions requirements, you know, regs in general. Um, we needed to be as efficient as possible with those cars uh, from, from an emissions and fuel economy perspective. Uh, so the answer to that question was um, a ground up all new 2.3 liter engine. Wow. Um, you know, it's got very few common parts um, with the outgoing. Uh, that engine will be assembled in Cleveland, so USA, <laughs> and um, it it delivers on it. It truly maintains, if not slightly improves, advertised performance, um, but it does so at a significant step forward on efficiency as measured through fuel economy, and it is uh, Sulev capable as well, um, which you know nobody's buying a car generally speaking, for its emissions uh, requirements, especially Mustangs. However, um, it is the price of doing business, and it is you know some of the reasons why some of our competitors are making decisions they are, is it, it can become very challenging and uh, engineering intensive to emissionize uh, some of these engines. Um, we did drop the manual off of the I-4. It right. just didn't, at the end of the day, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of customer interest. I, I will say that it's not true in my driveway. That is the only car my son will drive. He's had three 
EcoBoost manuals. <laughs> um, and he's a big fan of that. Um, so that'll probably force me to get him a V8 in the future is what that'll end up doing. Um, but yeah, the two, the two, three remains a very popular, well-balanced, um, der- uh, derivative in our portfolio. It serves, you know, it provides an entry point to, to new, new customers. Um, and I would say for this, for this version, for the first time we've, uh, we've outfitted the EcoBoost with a unique front end, which is, um, a little less aggressive than the GT. Um, but certainly speak to some of the customers very uh, uniquely. But I think what you really want to talk about is the five liter. Um, we're on our Gen Gen 4 Coyote. Um, having a 5.0 badge on the side of the car is, you know, something that um, is globally recognized as, yep. as a Mustang signature. Um, we want to do that for as long as we can. Um, the five liter is, um, I would say we've put the, uh, we've put the engineering in that engine where it matters. Um, so where, where that engine is tried and true and fit for purpose, uh, like the engine block, for example, you know, we, we didn't go mess around with those things. Um, but where we spent our time was really on the upper end of the engine um, focused on breathing, uh, and highlighted by, uh, twin, twin 80 millimeter throttle bodies, um, that are ducting air symmetrically from both of the nostrils, which are unique to the GT upper grill. And the design element on that GT grill is more than just aggression. It really speaks to the dual airbox V8 that's under the hood and is the, uh, is where we're pulling the air from fresh air from. Um, so that was really the major lever lever we had, um, in terms of hitting a significant improvement in performance, uh, again, at while delivering emissions and fuel economy improvements, right? You can't, wow. um, there's no, there's no way to just focus on, uh, performance. Um, it isn't necessarily what the customer necessarily is looking for. But again, it, it is the price of doing business. We have seen in our recent history that just maintaining compliance of the five liter uh, when it went through Lev3 uh, cost us 10 horsepower uh, by doing uh, the addition of carbon traps. So the fact that we were able to take this to the next phase of, a, of emissions and efficiency and uh, increase the performance such that we have the highest power GT ever and with the you know, what we'll talk about next, I assume the dark horse, right. um, you know, advertised power at a hundred horsepower per liter is pretty insane in today's world. Yeah. Moving to that dark horse trim at breakdown for us, what are the elements and what's the package content that makes that version so performance oriented, but then also if you could fill us in a little bit on some of the thought process about introducing a new performance oriented trim that we have not seen before. I know with any kind of model redesign, especially something like Mustang that's so tied into history and heritage, it's got to be a challenge to to keep that in mind, but also to also look to the future. So I'm kind of curious, how did Dark Horse come about? Yeah, so the um, we have a, a strong 
Um, you can't tell the story of Mustang without talking about its performance series, whether it's the Shelby's, the Mach ones, the bullets, the bosses, um, each of those started somewhere, right? They all had a, they were all new at some point in the process and, and we have done iterations of those over time and they're very, very well received. Um, but with that, they, they come with very specific expectations, uh, both within the Ford team, uh, but also with our customer and enthusiast, right? And they, they are happy. There's no shortage of people that are happy to tell me exactly what a Mach one or a boss should be uh, down, down, down to the hardware, uh, specific hardware elements. Right. And that's awesome. And um, you know, that is part of the, brand value of Mustang is that we have that legacy and, and we have the opportunity uh, moving forward if, if we see fit to continue to uh, celebrate that. Uh, but what with, with Dark Horse, you know, we, we thought it was time to do something on the seventh generation uh, unexpected. And that gets into a part of why it's called Dark Horse is it's, you know, we didn't, you didn't see it coming. Um, and it's going to do some pretty impressive things. It's, you know, as a Mustang, maybe, you know, it's considered on a global stage, maybe a bit of an underdog when you compare it to some of the more premium sports cars. Um, but it's very fitting with our announcement of this car going to Le Mans um, and doing GT3 and GT4 and every other racing circuit known to man um, that we, uh, that we, the name really fits um, what our intentions are when we race the car, right? Maybe you didn't see it coming. Maybe you didn't expect it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's going to, it's going to compete and it's going to compete to win. We also took that name into this sort of the design language and really looked at, um, not being a show pony as much as a purebred. And it isn't, uh, it isn't a look at me kind of car. It's, it's somewhat subtly styled darker cues um everything we could darken we we basically did including the exhaust tips and the uh, headlamps uh, and everything in between on the interior um obviously it gets more power um with the engine and that's enabled by borrowing from the ford performance gt500 uh, catalog of cool stuff and bringing uh the connecting rod into a into the dark horse, which really enabled us to push the cylinder pressures that much more. Um, of note is the uh, tried and true GT350 uh, and Mach 1 Tremec transmission. Uniquely for this vehicle, we outfitted it with a pure titanium 3D printed blue anodized shift knob. <laughs> and it was that, it, and that, uh, you know, back to my history, right? I was involved with the Ford GT that comes with a optional titanium exhaust that when oxidized under heat um, turns a cool shade of blue. That was my, uh, the inspiration for that shift knob, which then became the inspiration for the entire interior accent color, uh, all derived from that. And it is, that shift knob is specific to the manual and we continue to, to reward uh, those that choose for uh, not necessarily the best times, but the most enjoyable experience with that manual. Well, it looks to me, Ed, that uh, uh, this launch 
There was a lot of work behind the scenes to get this car ready. Let me just say this before I finish by asking what some of your favorite uh, features are on the new Mustang platform that um, it looks like you got all the bases covered. I think it's I think it's fascinating that uh, Ford Motor Company was able to retain traditional ice powertrains, uh, not only with the same or maybe slightly decreased performance to meet uh, these ever-tightening standards, but even to take that performance bar and raise it even further. That says a lot for the commitment to this product. Um, tell us, as a final thought, what are some of your favorite features of this new Mustang? Yeah, let me let me first say uh, one of my favorite things is that you know Jim Farley and Bill Ford empowered us to do this 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 Mustang at this time when when our competitors are are making some tough choices. Right. Um, in terms of the of uh, the features, when, when when you look at the car, it's obviously instantly a Mustang, but it's very uh, modern. Uh, love the tri bar tail lamps which uh, maintain the sequential. We've moved the sequential turn into the headlamps now with the tri-bar right. uh, daytime running lamps, which is really cool. Uh, when you walk up to the car, the uh, the whole lights, uh, all the exterior lights do a bit of a dance, uh, which sort of reflects a increasing heartbeat as you get closer and closer to the car. Um, the wheel lineup is spectacular. Um, we have, I don't know, 15 or 17 wheels, including... Um, <laughs> Uh, ultimately an available um, carbon wheel for the dark horse. Um, the performance packs come with a bronze, uh, sinister bronze uh, wheel finish, which is also uh, in the badges, which is really uh, unique for us and we think going to be very well received. But in terms of features, um, you know, I got, I got to spend a lot of time with Vaughn Gittin, Mm -hmm. uh, junior and his team at RTR, uh, developing the drift brake. And I'm, uh, um, pleasantly surprised, um, in a big company that we were, uh, we were given the, uh, <laughs> permission to pursue, uh, such a cool feature, um, for off-road purposes only my lawyers and my off-road purposes only. And, and the tire um, manufacturers to their it, benefit. It is just, it, it's, and it's an absolute blast. But what it also does is with the production controls and integration of this into a production vehicle, um, you really can tailor your experience based on your capability, right? So, you know, if you're a novice to drifting, uh, you've seen it on TV, you want to try it, um, the feature will allow you to, to not get in getting over your head right there you can maintain uh traction control and stability control and then slowly as you your skill set evolves you can turn off the nannies and um really get the full experience and, and really at some point in time really feel like you're doing it like the professionals um just save money for tires you will uh you will want to uh <laughs> Uh, have a tire budget if you're going to use that feature. So that's that's one of the cool ones. The other feature that's really cool, because uh, I'm a cars and coffee guy. I don't know about you guys, yep, but yep. Um, I like to go to cars and coffee. Um, a lot of people keep their hood open, and you know you get to you look around at how they've modified the engines. But everything's relatively quiet. Um, wouldn't it be cool if uh, if uh, if I could stand? Uh, away from the car and uh, let people hear how it sounds in addition to how it looks. And, and no, we have implemented that remote rev uh, feature, um, <laughs> Fun. which allows you with your key fob here to, to say hello to people at cars and coffee mm -hmm. or, or your neighbors or whatever, uh, whatever works for you. But uh, 
you know, we took the, uh, let's look at your engine at cars and coffee to the next level with that one. And that's, uh, that was really innovative by the team. Well, Matt, I don't know about you, but I think uh, that we've got the right guy for the mayor of Mustang. Ed, thanks so much, man, for joining us. And we could not be more pleased that it looks like the future of Mustang is uh, as solid as it's ever been. Thanks so much for all your efforts. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on the program. Hey, thank you guys for and your listeners for caring about Mustang. It's uh, very something we care very deeply about. And I, I think we... Uh, Uh, Many others share that feeling. So thank you. You've been listening to Meekin Presents On The Move, brought to you by State Farm. For more information, visit Meekin.com. And join us again next time as we take you inside the world of muscle and collector cars and more.